Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. A lot of folks across the country in the heartland this morning woke up to a little cooler temperature. The cold front promised by John Baranek on Monday's episode arrived last night, and I'm hearing reports from some friends up farther north that this might have been a killing frost and freeze situation some parts of the Corn Belt. That is certainly going to impact pricing. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman here in the third segment of the show. And we'll close today's episode with Jackie Fatka talking about some new COVID assistance that will be released by the USDA, you know, two and a half years after the pandemic. We're also going to check in with Corey Geiger, managing editor at Horrid's Dairyman. Dairy, World Dairy Expo has been happening up in Madison this week, and Corey was the moderator at a symposium yesterday with a lot of folks from around the world engaged in the dairy industry, including from the Netherlands. I'll be interested to hear their take, but we're going to begin today's conversation with Jason Mock. He's a farmer in Indiana. He's also the CEO of Constant Canopy and the CEO of a company called Muncie Meats, very active in the world of agriculture. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, let's talk about Constant Canopy, Jason. The one thing that a lot of folks might be familiar with you about is the idea of relay cropping, planting both beans and wheat in the same field. I know you had some relay acres on the ground this year. How did it go? Well, it wasn't as good as years prior. Honestly, it's a big hedge against uh, really heavy precipitation in the early part of the growing season. And uh, this year we're seeing in our monocrops as well. We went through a period of about uh, three or four weeks of a lot of heat and no rain in June. Uh, so we didn't have phenomenal results like sometimes we do, but still very profitable uh, acres. And Jason, I gave just a, a thumbnail glance at what relay cropping is. For people who maybe aren't familiar with the concepts behind it, can you explain what it is you do and how it works in your operation? Yeah, so we're basically very cognizant of cost. So we're planting wheat in 60-inch strips, uh, but we have four rows in that strip, so it creates about a 22-inch strip. And then we plant anywhere between a third to a half of the wheat seed. So we don't want to draw all the moisture out of the soil profile, but we kind of create living pattern tile with the wheat. And we go in and we plant soybeans about eight weeks before we harvest the wheat. So we're planting uh, soybeans in early to mid-April. They'll grow in between those wheat strips about 11 to 12 inches away from the edge of the wheat. And they'll be in R1 or R2, so we'll have little baby pods on it when we harvest the wheat. So we've devised these pads that will push the soybeans down. The combine traffic goes over the wheat uh, residue, and now we have a soybean field that is capable of producing the same amount of yield as monocrop uh, soybeans if we get enough precipitation. Now, some years uh, we get a little dry, so we get a little ding on the soybeans, but we might get better wheat that year. And what we're basically doing is comparing that against double crop where we're planting 2 million wheat seeds, putting full nitrogen rates, and then we're planting twice the beans later. So we drive our costs down, and it's it's just kind of a, a aggregate play. And in comparison to that, the true double crop method, Jason, how how much of a mm -hmm. discount would you expect in wheat yields, given that you're on such wide rows? Well, we've done it a gazillion different ways. So it's hard to explain on a radio show, but uh, you know we've had hundred bushel relay wheat. We had some in 2021 uh, where we got comparable yields. Some yields uh, are, are maybe a half if we plant it late in the mud or something like that. But just ideally, uh, if we plant on the same day, we're usually about 80% on the wheat yields. And we usually get uh, pretty close to monocrop soybean yields. So my APH is about 65 bushel beans. We've had 100 bushel relay soybeans when we've uh, done it differently. Uh, so it, it, a lot of factors, it depends. Uh, but, but going back, we're just trying to make more margin, and we're trying to hedge our risk. Um, in the 10 years prior, farm and seven or eight have had wet springs, 
And when we have a wet spring, we've had 88 bushel relay beans and then 50 bushel monocrop beans because heavy precip in May and June really hurt the root hairs of the monocrop beans. So it's just kind of this big brother that kind of hedges risks. It's incredible, Jason, to watch the iterations of the constant canopy model over the past couple of years. It's been very cool to see it change. I'm curious, have you been able to get into your soybeans quite yet this year? Yeah, we're about half done. Well, actually, we're about two-thirds done. And uh, it's been a great year for uh, for beans in general. We Again, we were dry in June, so they didn't grow real vegetatively. So there's not, not a lot of leaning out there. Uh, you know, they're just between my knees and our waist. Uh, but yields have been pretty good. I'd say top five all time, which with the new genetics these year, we say that a lot if we have decent weather. So pretty good on the beans, uh, on the corn side of things. Uh, we were a little dry during pollination. Uh, we planted in the mud a little bit at the beginning, and then once the soil conditions got better, it's a little more even, uh, a little bit better than average. But uh, last year was phenomenal. Not quite there, but still a pretty good year. Every year can't be the best year, I suppose, Jason. But I'm curious, given the challenges that we saw in growing this year and the input prices we're seeing out there in the countryside, are you anticipating big changes to the model for next year? No, not necessarily. Uh, we are a little worried right now with our soil moisture. Uh, again, we were we were just spitting on fumes throughout the growing season. You know, we got some pretty good black soil around here, so soil came through it. But we haven't had much precip at all the last month. I don't think no one wants to light a match around here uh, right now. So very similar to 2011, which set up the 2012 drought. You know, we were putting in hydras on in, in February that year. It's 80 in March, and I hope that doesn't happen for next year. But I think there's a big part of the Corn Belt that is would not like some moisture to go into next year. So that is the concern. And, you know, we might throttle back population and nitrogen if we go into the spring really dry. And if you're heading into the spring dry, Jason, would you just throttle back on the wheat and then see how the season develops and then adjust your bean planting? Or does it all go as a package? Oh, as far as the relay cropping? Yeah. Yeah, on yes. the relay side. Uh, so we're going to do, yes, I am setting up. I'm kind of excited. We're getting the drag line manure set up this morning uh, for the relay, part of our relay crop for next year. So we'll, we're going to throttle that back with the fertility. Uh, that's part of my motive here is we've got 12,000 pigs that we finished. So I've got 4 million gallons of hog manure i got to deal with every year. Uh, so we'll put fall manure down after corn, and then I will plant out a really reduced wheat population. So we're talking about planting regular wheat at 1.62 million. I'm going to drop about 400, 500,000 wheat seeds, about, uh, you know, two-thirds of row population, half the rows are gone, and then you know, if it doesn't rain a bunch, I'm going to get a big tillering. So my, my each wheat seed will get three to five heads per week, uh, maybe even more if there's space there. So that'll hedge my risk of it being dry. And also by doing that, I might not be able to raise the best wheat, but each bushel that I take out of the field draws moisture out. So each three bushels is an inch of rain. So we can take out wow. some of that, then we'll be have less, more of it for the, for the beans. All right, lots to plan for as the next year goes on. Folks, if you're interested, visit constantcanopy.com. You can learn more about Jason's work. Jason Mock, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. And folks, stick around. Corey Geiger will be joining us next on World Dairy Expo. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go! Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. 
Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about nine or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed and they're off. Ah, but looks like mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact... You could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. This past week, Madison, Wisconsin was inundated for the past week with dairy farmers from around the country and from around the world. They gathered for World Dairy Expo 2022. I wanted to get the rundown on the event. So joining me today is Corey Geiger. He is the managing editor over at Hordes Dairyman Magazine, and he's also a board member serving on the World Dairy Expo board. Corey, you have had a very, very busy week. How did it go? Are you ready to take a deep breath? Well, we are in the final day of World Dairy Expo and the signature dairy show, the Holstein Cow Show is in the ring right now with the young cow classes. So we will be rolling here all day, but I can certainly say this, the international attendance that was uh, been very signature of this show has pretty much returned to its pre-pandemic levels. Well, that is glad, uh, good to hear. That has been a struggle, I know, for farm events across the country, is getting those international visitors back in. Corey, how was the overall attendance this year? Well, we don't see, uh, I don't have final numbers yet, of course, because the day is going on, but the eyeball test says the uh, trade show was packed, and so is the Coliseum where the cow show is going on. And also, the other thing is that this is the second largest number of cattle on ground. We're over 26,000, making it one of the larger dairy herds in North America and certainly the most expensive dairy herd in North America. So the exhibitors from across Canada and uh, the United States have brought their best cattle to be judged. That's for sure. They are bringing it down. They are raising the roof there at the World Dairy Expo in Madison. Corey, I'm curious, you mentioned the international visitors that are back on hand. And yesterday, you moderated a symposium about the global dairy industry. I was wondering, could you give us the high-level take? What was the overall sense from the folks who were commenting? Yeah, we had a doorbuster event, actually, we were, uh, for that. And we had so Global Dairy Symposium was sponsored by the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. It was kicked off by our state ag secretary, Randy Romanski. And then uh, Marilyn Hershey, who's chair of the Dairy Management Inc., which is the dairy checkoff, led off with some great international opportunities for the United States. And the fact 
that U.S. dairy product consumption is now at 667 pounds of milk per person. That is the highest level since 1959. I know a number of headlines will always say that uh, fluid milk consumption is down. That is true. But people are eating their dairy today, and butter and cheese are at all-time highs. Uh, the U.S. Dairy Export Council started in 1995. We were only exporting 2 to 3% of our dairy products at that time. Now we're up to 17%. And Torsten Hemme, a really uh, world-renowned ag economist from Germany, came here. He raised his first question when he spoke at the Global Dairy Symposium was, who can imagine that we are entering a golden era of dairy? And he said, I can. And that golden era of dairy can be the U.S selling dairy products around the world. And so that was really one of the big themes as we talked through this for about three hours, Mike. Corey, that is incredible to hear that kind of optimism coming from Europe. I mean, that, to see people looking around the world going, gosh, where can we get quality dairy supplies? And, and the answer is is North America. I did notice that on that symposium, you had a representative from the Netherlands dairy industry, Corey, and we have seen the ag industry in the Netherlands really torn up this past year. What was the, What were their comments? Yeah, Ed Van Bowman was a dairy farmer. He's actually a president of the Global Dairy Farmers. And, you know, the Netherlands has been the epicenter right now for a lot of uh, what we call the ESG movement, the environmental, social, and governance. Uh, so he, he's upbeat for the future dairy, but they have struggles. You know, they, they, uh, they have some public relations to do there. And, you know, the, an immediate impact in Europe, too, is the war going on in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine and the decision... Europe is going to have to cut energy consumption 20% going in the winter. And that, that energy consumption is natural gas. So the question is, what, will, what products will be made? You know, public buildings maybe only have it heated to a certain level because it's going to be rationed. Um, Ad's father spoke, or excuse me, the, North, the uh, dairy farmer from the Netherlands spoke, and his father is alive, and he said, when it comes to energy, this rationing is going to potentially look just like World War II. So near term, there are some issues there uh, in, in Europe, and that will also impact, in fact, uh, impact excuse me, fertilizer prices because 90% of the cost to make nitrogen fertilizer is in natural gas. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of concerns over in Europe, and the spillover effects could be rather large. Corey, it's good to hear that American dairy producers might be the benefactor of some of this upheaval, but have we started to see it yet? Are exports ticking up? Was that under discussion? Exports are ticking up, actually, and um, and so that was part of the discussion, but, you know, the big things here are for customers, not only in the United States and around the world, are availability reliability and responsibility. Uh, getting product made is one thing, but getting it to the ports for export still uh, is a bit of a challenge. Uh, the, the ships waiting to dock on our western and eastern seaboards, are, uh, that number has gone down, but uh, there's still issues with that. I, I think um, cheese is one of our big exports, and so is skim milk powder. And in the United States, cheese production grew 19% from 2014 to 2021. And Cheryl Metzke, who spoke also CEO of AMPI, said that number will go 13 more percent in the next four years. So I, I think the U.S. is poised to really fill some of these export channels. Marilyn Hershey uh, with the U.S. Dairy Export Council just came back from a trade mission to Chile. And uh, so that's a little bit of a growing market in Latin America, not one of our major ones, but uh, every one of these relationships starts somewhere, and that's an area that's starting to blossom. It is, Corey. That is good to hear. We've heard a lot of, of opportunity that exists for American dairy that was outlined there at the symposium. Were there any concerns that the panelists brought to the table that American dairy might have to overcome in order to capture this market? Yeah, well, certainly, you know, one of the things I think uh, the, the number one dairy product exporting region is New Zealand on Oceania, and number two is the 27 countries of the European Union. And I think sometimes our U.S. businesses can be a bit North American or U.S. focused. And, you know, we got to be able to communicate in the language of our customers. We have our customers around the world are going to want products that 
not necessarily American customers want. So we have to gear up processing facilities to make those products. Uh, and so I think our processors are up to the challenge and our co-ops have owned processing plants as well. But that is uh, an area of growth that we need to uh, do. And, and quite frankly, as the pandemic hopefully gets in our rear view mirror, we need to uh, meet our customers in their space, in their countries. And so those are things that need to happen. Um, and Torsten Hemme, the economist from Germany, asked, where's the next Idaho? You know, Idaho came on the scene. Texas is fast charging and milk production. But um, to invest in a processing plant, which a new one, which can cost $500 million, a half a billion dollars, if you build one of those, you want milk to fill it. You know, so there there are areas of work that we need to do, but I think uh, together we can do that. I think so too, Corey. It sounds very promising. I'm curious if we can bring the topic a little bit closer to home. Of course, dairy in the U.S. is everywhere across this country, but you're a Wisconsin dairyman. I know you're several generations deep. Can you give us an update on the Wisconsin dairy industry? How are your producers feeling as harvest gets close and, and winter gets a little closer as well? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, as I'm sitting here outside of the uh, World Dairy Expo grounds between the Coliseum and Exhibition Hall, uh, my, my soybeans were just taken off on our home farm up near Green Bay on um, on Tuesday, and we followed it right up with some wheat crop here. But the fall harvest is going strong. I, I think one of the things from dairy farmers and a lot of Wisconsin and upper Midwest farmers raise their own crops, but, uh, you know, the, the question at hand is uh, what is this? feed situation going to look like uh, moving into the winter and the new year. Now, feed availability should be go- good, but the cost is high. And locking yeah. in some input uh, costs for next year's cropping year, there were a lot of farmers that hedged last year and were feeding some cheaper feed that they bought in 2022 or raised. And uh, the cost of production is going to go up. I think probably quite frankly that's one of the top concerns in our ongoing challenge uh with labor and that impacts not only getting milk off the farms but in the processing plants i mean a person with a cdl you know to drive semi trucks that is one of the most valued occupations at the moment it is. You can kind of write your own ticket. Folks, if you want to keep up to date with the world of dairy, Corey's work can be found at hordes.com. That's H-O-A-R-D-S.com. We've been speaking with Corey Geiger, the managing editor of Hordes Dairyman. And Corey, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a privilege, Mike. Have a great day. Folks, stick around. We're going to keep this market conversation going by talking with Arlen Suderman, a chief economist at StoneX, about what's developing here in the market. Stay tuned for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Cenex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils, oil that runs smart. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we look at the market action on Friday, the wheat market, the upside leader in grains and oil seeds as the market's facing some headwinds today from the macro markets following the uh, jobs report that was out this morning. We saw the U.S. economy created 263,000 jobs in September. That was uh, slightly higher than the 250K that was expected by analysts, and it was down from last month's number of 315,000. Now we look at the markets also, quarter wheat getting some premium here as the threat of nuclear 
war happens to be back in the minds of traders uh, with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. President Biden saying he doesn't think Russia President Putin is bluffing when he threatens use of nuclear weapons. And that really seems to have corn and wheat traders on edge. Uh, a lot of fears over what that could mean for Ukraine production moving forward and just lives in Ukraine as well. We can't forget about that. So a lot of uncertainty there, seemingly giving us a little bit of premium back into the wheat markets once again. And that's kind of what we've been trading, this up and down wheat market here for a couple of weeks. And uh, it's really just kind of been ebbing and flowing on the headlines that are mainly coming out of the Black Sea region. I'm be watching to see really closely what happens there as we head into the weekend. Traders will no doubt be on edge heading into a weekend where the markets are closed for a couple of days and they can't trade the headlines. Beans are inches away from filling a chart gap here, 13 to 49 and a quarter, as uh, we'll be watching to see if we could fill that chart gap here today and maybe bounce off it. Beans are just under a little bit of pressure here as we work through the morning. Meantime, livestock trade relatively mixed. Export sales uh, were good for hogs yesterday. We'll see if that could support the hog market. Cattle just kind of drifting here on this Friday. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for keeping AOA there on the dial. We are going to take a look at the commodity markets. A lot of green in the grains today on the Chicago Board of Trade. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist over at StoneX, joins us. Arlen, are we getting concerned about nuclear winter here in the commodity markets? Well, I don't know about nuclear winter, but there certainly is some concern that there might be some strategic nuclear strikes of, of what they call the mini warheads in uh, in Ukraine. From what I understand, and I'm certainly not an expert in weaponry, uh, what we used in Japan in World War II to help bring about an end to that war was something like 15 or 16 kilotons. Um, and uh, Russia has been working on uh, warheads reportedly of around one um, thousand kilotons so you know so one fifteenth or one sixteenth of what we used there but still devastating and obviously human life is the top priority and top concern here but from an agricultural market standpoint the concern would be uh, would the radiation that could contaminate those, those fields needed to produce over quite an area uh, I mean that's that's a very fertile area of the world and in fact Russia and Ukraine combined have become the breadbasket of the world here over the last 10 to 20 years and so you would contaminate a lot of ground uh, obviously downwind of Ukraine is Russia so from a logic standpoint it makes no logical sense for Putin to do this the fear is that President Putin of Russia is not thinking logically and so well, the odds are probably still well below 50%. It's a risk that uh, is being considered, um, particularly after President Biden made a statement to the effect that we're probably as close to a nuclear catastrophe as we've been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and so that really has the attention of uh, grain traders this morning. 
It does, Arlen, but there's only so much we can do about that. Manage our position and hope the nukes don't fly. I'm curious about something we can manage, which is some basis risk heading into harvest. Arlen, we've got very low water levels on the Mississippi. We've still got issues on the rails, getting stuff moved across this country. How should farmers be approaching that risk here as we get ready for harvest? Yeah, this is a real critical time in the marketplace right now, especially for the river where the bulk of our commodities move down for export. Uh, and uh, with water levels now creating problems, probably as bad as we've seen since 1988, the drought in 1988, because of the dryness that we've seen across the Midwest this year, um, it's really creating problems for barges. We're seeing barges get get grounded. Um, it's really slowing the amount up. We had a, a grounding yesterday in the lower Mississippi River that uh, backed up. At one point, I saw 2,048 barges were backed up behind it trying to get through. The river channels are narrow. You can take fewer barges through, and they can have be carrying far less uh, volume of material. So, you know, this is our opportunity to move corn and soybeans down the river um, before we start closing up the, down the upper river due to icing later this year, probably looking at December or so. So a limited amount of time to get that down and limited amount of time to get fertilizer back up the river. So it's critical. So barge rates have just exploded higher. Um, and that means that uh, river terminals can't afford to pay the farmer as much for the grain because they have these high barge freights. So that means trying to find other avenues to move grain. So that means rail, and we've seen rail prices go up to um, around $2,000 per car as well. So it's really raising the cost of moving things that's hurting our export business right now. Um, and at what point does it become cheaper for Mexico to import corn from Brazil uh, than pay the rail freight coming in with these rail freight prices are? And, and so that's a real concern going forward and something that farmers have to consider in their marketing plan because um, right now we don't know when it's going to get better. We don't know when we're going to see the level of moisture needed to put water in the river to raise those barge. It could just be one big rainstorm, but that's frankly not in the forecast right now. No, it isn't, Arlen. And so for producers who maybe market through a river terminal, are, have we already seen the hit from these elevated barge freights on basis, or are there still more hits to come potentially? I think there's still more hits to come. Um, so, it, you know, we haven't seen those costs fully passed on to the to the farm price yet at the farm gate. So it does put an advantage, and, you know, particularly if we happen to see a lowering of the corn yield from USDA and soybean yield uh, on uh, next Thursday when USDA releases its crop report, you know, that would mean more rationing needs to happen, especially for corn, rationing a demand. Well, what this does is say uh, the exports are probably be where we ration the demand and that allows domestic demand an opportunity to continue to grow. It certainly does help the livestock producer and the ethanol processor at the not having to fight the export market quite so hard to, to originate the, the limited bushels we have. And we still have a huge shortage, a huge deficit of feed grain in the major feedlot states in the West. Um, that it helps give them a little bit of easing of that pressure so they can move that corn that can't go down the river, try to move it uh, west to the feedlots. That's a great point, Arlen. I'm glad you brought that up. I was also curious, I saw that crude oil has climbed back up above $90 today, just slightly above in the WTI contract. Are, are we going to be at an elevated level and range bound here in energy prices for some time? Well, what's interesting is we saw a big jump in prices here over the last week or 10 days on expectations which were confirmed that OPEC plus, the oil cartel that includes Russia, uh, would cut output by 2 million barrels a day. Uh, what the markets are not really focused on is the fact that they were falling far short of their current quotas because some members are simply having trouble meeting those quotas. In fact, over 3 million barrels per day below those quotas. And so even with that cut of 2 million in their quota, 
they still need to increase production by over 1 million barrels a day just to reach the new quota levels. Um, but nonetheless, the market's reacting higher, and that's ultimately what Saudi Arabia wants. And Saudi Arabia may have to suffer sometimes, but they eventually tend to get prices where they want. They're kind of the swing state in OPEC that has the flexibility and the ability to, to manage production a little bit easier than some of the other members. And they'd really like to see crude oil prices in that 90 to $100 range. So unless we see a collapse of the economy, I think, you know, I'm just talking domestically, I'm talking globally, that is a risk that we will see these higher prices. In fact, some analysts still expect tighter energy supplies in 2023. One of the keys is going to be whether we see a change in policy toward COVID in China after their Congress meets on the 16th of October. Will they ease up on their zero tolerance policy toward COVID and open their economy up again, increasing that global demand? That we don't know. I can hear, I've heard arguments both directions on that. Personally, I'm skeptical, not sure that they will, but that's one of the concerns. The other thing we don't know is how effective will the European Union's uh, ban on Russian crude oil be uh, that takes an effect, I believe, in early December. And um, that's another question mark that it could have a big impact on global energy prices going forward. It certainly could. That's another massive global issue we'll keep watching. And so is the broad economy. Arlen, we had jobs data out this morning from Uncle Sam. Saw payrolls climb 263,000 from last month. Jobless rate down. Is this an indication that the Fed is going to keep hiking those interest rates? Yeah, it would certainly seem so. This is a case where good news is bad news. If there's good news for the economy, that means that the inflation pressures are going to continue and the Fed's going to continue to get aggressive in order to fight inflation. And these employment numbers would argue that we're going to continue to have wage inflation. So you can see inflation come down to the wage inflation level and just kind of sit there until they actually deal with wage inflation. We saw the unemployment rate go to 3.5% today. In reality, in order to get wage inflation down where um, the Fed would like to see it, we probably need to see the unemployment rate go up closer to 6% or maybe a little bit higher. So when you have well-known doves on the Federal Reserve who are giving speeches about that sound like they're strong hawks, that means that we're probably going to see them maintain the pace of monetary tightening here for the next couple of meetings at least. That makes sense. Arlen, before we let you go next week, you mentioned we're going to get that WASDE report on October 12th. Are you expecting any big changes in either corn or soybean production? Well, I think the big question is about those production numbers, yes. And uh, while I felt pretty good about the soybeans, I'm now seeing enough concerns that I think that's at risk of coming down. On the corn side, there's uh, the data is really mixed right now, whether we're going up from this level, bouncing back with yields, or coming down. And I'm really anxious to see the USDA's number on this. I think there's risk in both ways as we head into that report. The private estimates are sure, certainly giving mixed signals right now. It really comes down to the good areas versus the bad areas and how they uh, weigh each other out. It's all about that balancing act and how statistics works there with the USDA folks. We have been talking to Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist over at StoneX. Arlen, we always appreciate you joining us here on AOA and always appreciate your thoughts. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to take our focus back to Washington, D.C. in the next segment with Jackie Fatka, policy editor over at Farm Progress, looking at some new COVID relief dollars from the USDA. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. 
luck. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seat has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double arm kid carry. Looks like dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about nine or ten, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison Help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save Poison Help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex 
premium diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Earlier in the program, we were talking to Corey Geiger at the World Dairy Expo, and he made a comment that uh, the COVID pandemic continues to fade into the background. And that might be true, I think, for a lot of us. But there in Washington, D.C., the COVID pandemic is still generating headlines, and it's still generating some funding. Jackie Fatka, policy editor over at Farm Progress, joins us today because there was a recent USDA announcement last week. Jackie, what's the USDA going to do with $671 million? You know, here's a little bit more money to go around for everyone, but this is some more of the pandemic assistance that's finally getting doled out. And this this week's announcements actually for those farm workers, meatpacking workers, grocery store workers, a lot of those frontline workers in the ag sector. Uh, this is distributing a, a one-time $600 payment to those workers who were affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Interesting. Do we know yet how they are defining farm worker? Does it count as a farmer or do you have to be a like a W-2 employee of a farm? So this is um, these are actually grants. So the kind of interesting part about this is um, it's actually the, the grants go to, for instance, the United Farm Workers Program. So it's not like it's going to the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, that was not one of the list of grant recipients. Um, and so USDA selected some of these organizations who would represent those uh, those workers. So yeah, this is not going to be a one-time payment for farmers, um, but you know, for those producers who have um, produce um, and they work with you know a lot of seasonal seasonal workers or those types of individuals, meat packing plants. Um, so you know, all those folks would also qualify. Um, and so this is. There was some hope that there would be some immigration funding in one of the COVID packages, one of the reconciliation packages that passed last year. So this is actually um, obviously not everything that they were hoping, but something that at least gives something of um, to help with what they they experienced during the pandemic because they continue to work or on the front lines. And so this was a way that USDA felt like they could at least provide something to those workers. Gotcha. All right. And this is coming at a, an inflationary time. We talked about all of those $600 payments in the past couple of years, maybe contributing to the environment we're in now. Now it's a little bit more. Jackie, is there any more potential COVID money that could still come out from this administration? You know, so actually, you know, one of the, um, it was, it was some of the money that was originally supposed to be in for the black farmer relief or farmers of color relief for distressed loaners loan um, that was in that reconciliation package last year. And then the recent um, Inflation Reduction Act actually changed that to, to all distress loan um, applicants for USDA. So, you know, that's not necessarily COVID, but it was under the guise of COVID. And so actually some of those restrictions are being lifted because we're no longer under an emergency situation. And so there's a lot of concern on how quickly um, some of that uh, money could go out to help those distressed learners. So it's a little different than straight COVID payments, but it was in the, uh, you know, in, in the that first COVID package that they try to provide some relief and then they changed it in the most recent IRA uh, package that passed in Congress just a couple months ago. Okay, that'll still be coming out. Jackie, I want to take our focus to a different era. We have the comment period today closing on the EPA's re-registration of atrazine. And I'm curious, have there been many comments uh, submitted so far? Is that something we can tell? Yeah, so I just actually looked at that this morning on regulations.gov. Um, anytime that there is a, a, a regulatory action, they, they actually allow everyone to look through all the comments. So there's been 34,330 comments posted as of last night. Uh, the comment period actually closes tonight at 11.59. So folks can still uh, comment on that. I know the corn growers had said that more than 3,000 growers have taken action through NCGA's website. Um, and so, you know, the big thing here is EPA is proposing a level for atrazine of 3.4 parts per billion, which is down from the current level of 15 parts. So it doesn't take a, a math genius to know that this is quite a bit 
a lower threshold than what is currently used today. And so they're really wanting to make sure that producers get out and, and make sure that they, they take action. Uh, you can go to NCGA's website. I know that they've got a lot of these groups have um, kind of a form letter that you can go in that takes you right to where you need to make the comments and, and provide some of your own insight on what this would mean to you if these levels were actually put into action. All right, folks, that comment period closes at midnight on Friday. So get in there. If you use Atrazine, you want to keep it around on your operation. Jackie, before we let you go, next week is another big week for agriculture at the Supreme Court. Is Proposition 12 still scheduled for oral arguments? Yes. So Tuesday, big day, October 11th. We've all been kind of waiting for this. Um, and, you know, it's it's really going to put into, uh, the, we're going to hear uh, the oral argu arguments on whether California was right in, in the actions that it took with Proposition 12, which for those of you who may not know, this this does many things, but the the part that they will be deciding on, on is whether the the crate the prohibition for crates for gestation gestating hogs is is allowable. And so the National Pork Producers Council, the American Farm Bureau Federation have argued that the dormant commerce clause should prevent states from enacting laws that limit limit commerce across state lines. And, you know, interesting, yesterday I listened in on a lot of the folks who are in favor of Proposition 12, some of the people who are in support of allowing that to continue. And they have a very, they feel very confident in their challenge of this as well. So it will be interesting to see, you know, the, the Supreme Court has never uh, agreed in a situation like this on the dormant com commerce clause. And so it will be interesting to see how they do proceed going forward with this. You know, one of the judges, uh, Justice Gorsuch, she's actually had a similar ruling um, when he was on the 10th court. Um, not that would probably not go how ag wants. And, and, you know, he basically said that we're an interconnected national marketplace and that state regulations sometimes have ripple effects both in Seattle and elsewhere. So we're going to see where the Supreme Court, it'll take months to get the decision, but this is that first important step for those oral arguments. And we'll get to hear the Supreme's questions, which can oftentimes shed a little insight into what they're thinking. Folks, we've been talking to Jackie Fatka, policy editor over at Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Great chatting. Take care. Good weekend. And folks, tune in next time to AOA. We'll talk weather. We'll talk policy. We'll talk markets right here on the show. Thanks for joining us. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. If you're not filling with Senex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Senex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number two diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Zenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.